This episode of Tester's Island Discs is sponsored by TestRail, a modern web-based test management tool which allows you to manage all of your testing efforts in a centralized location. To learn more about TestRail and to find out how you can sign up for a free trial, visit www.testrail.com or see the details in the show description. Welcome to Tester's Island Discs, your most musical guide to the world of software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Tester's Island Discs. I'm sorry that we've been away for a couple of weeks. I've been suffering with winter flu, something rotten. Thankfully, that's mostly now gone from my voice, and I'm ready to welcome another guest to the island. And today's guest is Caro Stoltzenberg. Caro has been working as a senior test engineer for Linguamatics in Cambridge for the past three and a half years. Caro is one of the organisers of the Ministry of Testing Meetup Group in Cambridge, which is one of the most active test meetup groups in the world, I would say, running not only monthly morning lean coffee sessions, but also evening get-togethers, evening meetups. And she's also co-hosting the recently launched Software Testing Clinic in Cambridge. Welcome to the podcast, Caro. Hello, Neil. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And I would like to say I'd give you a witty introduction in German, but I can only apologize. I studied six months of German when I was about 13. I was mostly studying French. So <laughs> so I'm very grateful for you taking the time to do this in English. Yeah, very daunting. I, am I your first non-native guest, actually, non-native English-speaking guest? I believe so, yes. I've, I, we have another one in the pipeline very soon. Oh, brilliant. But yes. In episode one, we had Alex Schladerbeck, who migrated from England to Germany. What was the path that brought you the other way? That was actually Twitter. So I've seen the Lingromatics job advert on Twitter and it really stood out for me. I thought that was just a shining light in all these often very boring tester job adverts because it talks about creativity and learning and sharing analytical skills and shows testing as a very varied job. And I quite liked that. And that then fit well into my general desire to live abroad for a couple of years or more. Um, and the UK was always a country that kind of interested me that I really liked. Um, I like English as a language as well. And I was before always the only tester in the companies that I worked for. And Lingomatics has a group of testers and the UK has a testing community that is very active. And I was really looking forward to kind of tying into this. So there were a lot of good reasons to come. Yes, and the UK has always traditionally been a country that's very diverse and welcoming. But of course, we can't really get through this section without mentioning Brexit. Ooh. <laughs> I assume at this point, nothing has really changed for you right now. Not really. It, it's kind of, it is daunting on the horizon. So it's a bit of a black cloud in general. But then on the other side, Cambridge is a safe place. Cambridge is a really, really nice community. It's very international. Through the university, it's very open as well. And I think actually the city of Cambridge was the area that voted to remain the highest uh, overall. The strongest, yes. Yeah, I forget. I think it was something like 80%. I may have made that yeah, up. Yeah, it was quite high. So it's it's very easy to still feel very welcoming in the UK being here. And generally, I haven't had any negative experiences. I find it really sad, not only for me, but also for other people who came here in the to the UK from European countries, but also for people in the UK as well, growing up and kind of losing this freedom and this ability to travel to other countries. I think that's really the problem with it is that it, boiling it down to a, a, a binary decision of stay or leave yeah. 
where, particularly in technology, obviously, which is mostly a, a skilled sector, where when people are making arguments for leaving and you know for pe- people taking away British jobs, they're not normally talking about skilled workers who we we really appreciate and we need to to hold on to. So I'm really hoping that nothing much changes, at least within the EU. Mm. We'll have to wait and see. I think we're we're still a year or so away from any uh, firm date of anything happening, but. Oh, it's not good. <laughs> no, it came quite as a shock, I have to say. But you've had good things to say about Cambridge, and I agree. Obviously, Cambridge is on my doorstep. And Cambridge has a particularly active testing scene. Why do you think that is? Might be several reasons. So one certainly is that Cambridge just generally has a big kind of IT crowd. The Science Park, also known as the Silicon Fen of the UK, which I thought was quite funny when I moved here. But also... Rosie Sherry used to be in Cambridge and the first test bash was actually set in Cambridge. And mm. it sometimes feels like such a legacy to continue the evening meetups here because she started it. And I'm, I'm like, oh, they have to go on. They have to go on. We can't let that not happen. And then there's a lot of support from the testers here. So I, I mean, I've been here for three and a half years and I've been co-organizing the meetup for about three years now. But there are testers who come to the meetups who support me in doing that, who've been here for way longer and who have kind of made that all possible. So it's just a generally very nice crowd here in Cambridge, very supportive. And as I mentioned, one of the recently launched initiatives is the Cambridge branch of the Software Testing Clinic. We'll talk a bit about that in a moment after we hear from you about your first song choice. So you've been allowed to take five songs to a desert island with you that best represent what music means to you. What was the first song that you chose? So as a bit of a disclaimer, I chose the five songs because kind of take five songs with you to an island. It's just too broad for me. I love music, (laughs) so I couldn't decide. So I picked five songs that also represent something about testing for me. And the first song is Garbage, Only Happy When It Rains. And that's a bit of a, a fun dig at the tester stereotype of us kind of being a bit sadistic, trying to break things, of course, kind of not doing that, we're just showing where it might already be broken, but having a bit of a more of a negative thing. So just kind of a fun play on the stereotype of testers there. That was Garbage with Only Happy When It Rains. And before that, I was talking to Caro about a number of meetups, including the Software Testing Clinic, which has recently started up in Cambridge. There's different groups of the Software Testing Clinic all the way around the UK at the moment. And I spoke a bit to Shay Crompton in the last episode about the roles of students and mentors within the testing clinic. Caro, you're coming into this from a different angle because you are one of the organisers of the Cambridge meetup. How did that come about? I'm not quite sure how I heard first about the software testing clinic. It might have been from Dan and Mark um, directly. So Dan Ashby and Mark Winteringham, they founded the software testing clinic in London. And there it is now in its second year. I heard of it from them probably directly when they came to one of the meetups in Cambridge. And then in the second iteration, I went to the mentoring workshop and I started to come as a mentor to 
the clinic in London. Mm. And then because they were kind of keen to bring that wider to the UK, which I think is an absolutely brilliant idea, very good for the community. Um, so they asked me whether I'd be interested in helping out. And of course I was. Yeah, I was so, so pleased when I heard that the clinic was coming to Cambridge because I've been to the London one, I believe, only once before because I don't work in, in London. It's a bit of an effort for me to get into London and out of an evening. So having one on my doorstep is absolutely perfect because it means that I can start to contribute back towards the community in, in my local area as well, which is great. Yeah, it's absolutely great to have you as a mentor here. So I've organized a few events like this in the past. I've run workshops. I was involved in an organization called Weekend Testing, which runs test sessions online every month. One of the challenges I've always found is how you prepare for something like this when you don't know who's going to be attending and what their skill levels are going to be like. How much preparation can you do in advance if you're not sure what people's ability levels are going to be? Yeah, fair question. And very often it's a mix, right? So you have very experienced people, people who are way more experienced than I am, uh, which is quite intimidating at times, and then newcomers. And you want kind of want to have a fair session for all of them. In preparation, I try to understand um, what the objectives are for the session. So what are the takeaways that students can take out of the session afterwards? And then thinking of ways that we can bring that across. And then I'll try to relax, to be honest, and embrace the uncertainty. And I think that is actually a very good training for any tester because we deal with the unknowns and with uncertainty very often. So being in a kind of a group uh, setting, uh, trying to embrace that and actually enjoy having the people bring in their different opinions and their different views on testing is something that I quite uh, like, actually. Because the software testing clinic is a safe environment, I would hope that if I really kind of mess it up and say something that's just not correct or where I forgot to take into certain context or certain preconditions, I would hope people would call me out on it and question it. And I think that's also kind of a nice uh, balance in the clinic. It's a safe environment. Question everything that you see there that people tell you and call them out if they are telling you stuff that you don't believe in or don't think it's true. I think that's one of the best things to take away from a testing clinic is actually the environment itself. If The more that you can create environments like that within your own workplaces, more people will be willing to put forward ideas so that you know, there's no stupid questions. In terms of preparation, you mentioned Dan and Mark setting up the clinic. One of the really, really good things they've done is they've put together a series of 99 second videos mm. so that before each lesson, students can go and look at some videos of like the key talking points, like the definitions of the things you're going to be talking about. So that there is that little baseline of knowledge that everyone actually understands before you start. Yeah, that's absolutely useful. And I do collect the resources that I use in order to prepare for the sessions. I put up on the club afterwards as well, so for students so that they can come and read up on it. And the 99 seconds is usually my starting point. Yeah, the clinic has really, really flourished since Ministry of Testing got involved. As you mentioned, there is the club online where people can go and ask questions before or after, uh, where resources can be shared and yeah, it's no surprise to see that the clinic is going from strength to strength. If you're living in an area that doesn't currently have a clinic where you think there's a large enough community that might embrace one, the best place to go is softwaretestingclinic.com and get in touch with Dan or Mark through there. I'm sure they can point you in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. They actually have a guide and a kind of an FAQ on when you want to start the software testing clinic, what you should consider. And I would also really advise on coming as a mentor. So if there's a clinic and you are in the area or you can make it work with kind of the hour train ride, 
try to come to a clinic beforehand as a mentor or as a student just to see what the general vibe is and if you like it. And we'll talk a little bit more about the structure of a testing clinic session after we hear from you about your second song choice. My second song choice is uh, Alanis Morissette. So we stay in the 90s. And this song is called You Learn. And that uh, very obviously is something that um, happens in testing all the time. This is my major thing about testing or one of my major things about testing that we're continuously learning about the product, about ourselves, about the people we work with. And in the song, it's kind of a, a nice mindset as well. So you might have failures, you might have bad decisions, wrong decisions, or just things that aren't that great, but you can view them as opportunities to learn and try to embrace that as well. And I just love that message. That was You Learn by Alanis Morissette, and we'll be talking a bit more about learning in the second half of this podcast. But in the meantime, we've spoken a bit about the role of an organiser at the software testing clinic. What about the mentors themselves? So mentors obviously come in with a degree of pre-existing knowledge. Maybe they have some experience in the subject in question. Yeah, exactly. And that's a nice thing about the software testing clinic as well. So come as you are, basically. I've signed up for some software testing clinics as a mentor where I felt comfortable about the topic of the evening. But if you feel less comfortable, just sign up as a student if you're still interested in coming. And uh, you can also try to switch in between. And then it's not that set in stone anyways. During one of the evenings, we usually switch between having small group decisions, hands-on exercises, big group decisions. For me, the challenge in these group discussions is always for a mentor, how active or passive you should be. So if you're sitting there and you you know the answer to, or, you know, a good answer to the question that's been posed, but you want to give the the less experienced students a, a chance to to think out loud for themselves and to try and work their way to that answer, how do you balance being active versus being passive as a mentor? That's a good question. I think it always depends on the group that you're in. And that might actually be a mixed group. I think as a mentor, what you probably would try to do is get everybody involved in the group and make them feel comfortable and encourage especially the less experienced people to come with their questions. And then if you have a bit of a idea of the direction it should go into or the goal or the answer that you want to have people reach in that section, then you can try to balance that with how the discussion goes in the group itself. I really like the scale of influence, which was introduced to me by Toby Sinclair, uh, who really has great advice on coaching and mentoring. And the scale of influence is basically coming from very directive advice to a bit more self-directed. And that kind of describes on how you can behave 
And I think in the clinic, you'll probably be switching between coaching, where you ask more questions and try to get the students to come up with what they know already and try to come up with conclusions and with the answers themselves by asking good questions. Whereas on the other side, where you're a bit more in the mentoring mindset, where you give answers or give advice or give your opinion or share your experience. And I like that distinction as well. So the coach who's more asking the questions, trying to get stuff out from the students, whereas as a mentor, you'll, you are more on the answer giving side. And I think mm. that you're probably switching all the time in the clinic sessions, aren't you? Yeah. And I, th I think that coaching angle is a really useful one to take back to the workplace as well. We mentioned that the testing clinic is a series of monthly classes and there's a kind of an, a lesson structure that goes through those. So Cambridge has just done episode one, which is what is testing. Is there a particular episode that's coming up that you're particularly looking forward to, something that's close to your heart? I quite like the designing test one, which is coming up. So this is all about test idea generation, heuristics, oracles. And I like that a lot because it's very creative and it's thinking outside the box and lateral thinking. And that are just aspects on testing that I really enjoy. Mm, yeah, it's one of those ones that where there is, are so many ideas that uh, it's, it's really easy to get people involved and uh, enthused in that sort of class. And also you do need to learn some skills about how to, to narrow that playing field sometimes because there are so many things you can do. It's like, how do you choose the important things? Yeah, you have to. But before you have to narrow it down, you can go a bit crazy. <laughs> and we'll get into that craziness in the next section after we hear about your third song. So my third song is not my German contribution. Um, it is a Swiss singer, actually, Sophie Hunger. She's a jazz pop singer songwriter and I really love her. I've been to a few concerts and I think she's just amazing and a real artist in my mind. The song Zlied for Freiheitsstatue is in Swiss German and I have to say that I don't speak Swiss German. It's really not just mm -hmm. a dialect, it's its own language. I don't understand a word of it. And she thinks in Swiss German, German, French and English and I picked this one in particular I love the perspective. She went to New York, saw the state of liberty, and was wondering what the state of liberty is thinking the whole day. And I thought that was just brilliant. A real example of lateral thinking, think thinking outside of the box, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, and that's testing for you right there and creativity. That was Sophie Hunger with Slied vor Freiheitsstatue. So we said we were going to talk a bit about how you generate test ideas. When there are so many different places you can go to, how do you find the best place to start? So 
I very often actually start with visualization. So I'm trying to model the feature, the architecture, try to understand where the communication flow is. And then I look, break that down into bits and pieces and look at them. Then I try to get different viewpoints onto the thing that I'm testing. And there are a lot of techniques that you can use to make that easier because sometimes you kind of, you stand in front of and you're like, yeah, okay, input, um, 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 what can I do? And there are a lot of heuristics out there that help you and support you in this test idea generation. And the more often you use it, the easier it gets and the ideas keep just coming flowing and flowing and flowing. And then, as you mentioned earlier, the hard part after is to kind of find out which are the ones that are most important. But yeah, heuristics, I think, are a good kind of starting point to iterate on the different viewpoints onto your product. For those who are coming across the world for the first time, can you explain briefly what a heuristic is? A heuristic is a fallible method or a technique to solve a specific problem. And we are actually using that all the time. So rule of thumb is a heuristic or a gut feeling or an educated guess. These are all heuristics we are using. Um, we have them a bit more formalized in testing as well. So there are a lot of cheat sheets out there, a lot of mnemonics used mm -hmm. as well. So you might come across something like SFDPOR or few hiccups. And these are acronyms that stand for kind of different viewpoints or aspects. Understanding that this sort of thing exists as a heuristic uh, allows you to formalize in your head what's going on. It allows you to make the case why something may or may not be a bug. Uh, it's really useful to have access to some of these. And I'll put links to all the ones that you mentioned uh, in the show notes, of course. Yeah, there are loads out there. And it's really helpful to um, mix them up a bit and to use different ones also just to kind of spur your creativity because if you're there if you kind of if you used to use those in a creative way it gets easier over time and then you have fallback ones that you can just pull out of your memory and also combining these ideas together so for example what happens if you try to do a particular i don't know like a field length test but also doing it as users with different credentials. So can administrators do something that normal users can't? You know, pairing these ideas together to, again, just massively expand the, the range of different ideas that you can put together. Nice. Yes, absolutely. Now, one of the tools that has emerged in recent years, that I don't think we've mentioned at all yet on the podcast, is a card game called Test Sphere, which I believe that you've had some experience with. Yeah, I had. We have a few here at Lingomatics, which we regularly mm. use. So Test Sphere is a card deck for testers, as you mentioned. It contains about 100 cards in five different categories. And heuristics is one of them. And few hiccups, as mentioned earlier, the kind of familiarity, explainability world, all of those have their own card. And I think that's really helpful, especially if you want to get into it, because every card in test sphere has kind of the topic, which might be a heuristic. Then it explains it in a short sentence, and then it gives you three examples. So especially for people who never used heuristics or who want to learn about software quality characteristic, a quality aspect can pick up cards from the category and learn about it. And that's how we're using it at Lingomatics. We pick a card every week on Monday in our team meeting. And then on Friday during lunch, we talk about it, we chat, we discuss it. Where have we applied it? Uh, how can we use it? How do we understand it? And that's a good way to kind of get to know all these different cards because there are loads of them. But there are other ways as well you can use. 
Yeah, it's a brilliant way of generating discussion. I've heard people running lean coffee sessions using TestSphere mm. cards. I've even heard someone put forward the idea of using a deck of TestSphere cards for job interviews, like picking three cards at random and say, okay, let's let the cards decide what we're going to talk about in the interview. It's <laughs> just a really interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. non-biased as well. So you kind of, it, it's a bit serendipity, right? Which card you pick. Mm, yeah. But I think that was one of the motivations of TestSphere to get testers talking about testing, either with other testers or with other people from your team. So we're hanging these cards actually in our breakout room because with the example, mm. it's self-explanatory. Everybody can pick up on it. Yeah, and a big shout out to the creator of TestSphere, who is Baron Vandal, who <laughs> we've both seen in the past week because he's, he's had a busy couple of weeks. He's been cycling from Scotland to Brighton during the worst British winter I can remember in a long, long time. There's a, a BBC News report of him cycling through Scotland in the snow. <laughs> That's, uh, I will link to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely hilarious. And then when he came to Cambridge, I actually told him that Cambridge should be fine. It's never raining here. And of course, it rained for two days nonstop. Oh, yeah. He's had a bit of everything. And he was coming to Cambridge to run a, a risk storming workshop. Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's absolutely lovely. So he did the detour to Cambridge and run the workshop. And risk storming is a brilliant way to use TestSphere. As testers, we often look at risks in our software, right? So what are the biggest risks? What should we be concerned about? If it goes wrong, what would make the most impact and how likely is it? With TestSphere, you can have a really good group discussion, a team discussion. So you can get all your team together, talk about a feature or your product if you kind of start out having a new product designed. And you pick from the quality aspects um, category of TestSphere, you pick six different ones that you are most concerned about. And those could be kind of user friendliness or in interoperability or instability or stuff like that. And then you think of risks around these six costs that you prioritized. And then you think about techniques um, or heuristics or patterns that you want to apply to. So how are you going to tackle the risks in your testing? And then from that, you can go on and make a one-page test plan. And that was a really nice workshop that Baron run where we got together in small groups and tested an Instagram feature uh, that is yet to come. And it was just brilliant, hands-on, a lot of fun and very applicable. Yeah, in terms of generating a large number of test ideas in a short space of time, risk storming is one of the best techniques mm. I've seen in a while. If it sounds complicated to listeners, I should say I will put some more links in the show notes to some examples of this risk storming exercise. I did one at Test Bash Manchester last year. Uh, so I've got some photos of a, a completed example. And also I'll link to some blog posts of people who've been in that sort of thing. There'll also be a link in the show notes to TestSphere itself. If you don't know what we're talking about, you'll be able to see some examples of some cards. Uh, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah, absolutely. It's also because it's such a communication device in a way, it really helps to get to a common understanding, which is one of the key points, I think, in every team. So before we move into our final section, can we hear about your fourth song choice, Carrie? My fourth song choice is from Fort Minor, Remember the Name. And Fort Minor is a side project of Mike Shinoda, and he's part of Linkin Park. So you might know that band a bit better. Or maybe you have heard of Fort Minor as well. I really like it. And it is a great motivational song as well. And it also reminds me of that very often if you want to achieve a goal, it's hard work. It's not skill, it's not talent, but it's a mixture of things. It might be a little bit of skill, it might be a little bit of luck, it might be a little bit of willpower, but it is going to be 
a whole lot of hard work. So keep going. <laughs> Nobody really knows how or why he works so hard. It seems like he's never got time because he writes every note and he writes every line. And I've seen him at work when that light goes on in his mind. It's like a design is written in his head every time before he even touches a key or speaks in a rhyme. And those motherfuckers he runs with the kids that he signed. Ridiculous without even trying. How do they do it? This is 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% that was Fort Minor featuring Styles of Beyond with Remember the Name. So we went through a list of techniques for generating test ideas. Now that you've got all of these great ideas, though, is there a danger that you're going to be overconfident and think that you know everything? <laughs> yeah, I think there's always a danger. And that's that's a high risk in itself. And also, when you generate test ideas, you start with making a lot of assumptions. So you think mm. you know what it's all about. You make those assumptions. And based on those, you start going forward. I really liked a book of Jerry Weinberg that I read recently, Are Your Lights On?, which is all about problem solving. And he talks about, he presents you a problem. And then he talks about common solutions to this problem. And then he steps back and asks other questions, for example, do we really want to solve this problem? Is it a problem? For whom is this a problem? So he kind of steps out of it and questions the assumptions that are there from the start. And I really love that. That's a great reminder. Yeah, it only takes one really bad false assumption early on to completely scupper the piece of work that you're working on. As a tester, I think one of the really good ways to help combat that is to get involved as early as possible, particularly when user stories and acceptance criteria are being created. If you have for example, three Amigos workshops in your company where a product owner pairs with a, a BA and a tester or a developer to discuss how, a, how an approach to a story will be taken. Having a tester there to just go, hang on, you just said that thing. Are you certain about that? It can be really useful. I really like in meetings to do a lot of reflecting back what other people said to make sure that I understood correctly and we're all on the same page. And that's really important. And it comes down to things like Donald Rumsfeld's classic known knowns, known unknowns. It's understanding what you know, what you, what you, what you know you don't know, and uh, what's to come next. One of the things that I've always found really useful in dealing with this is understanding what's known as the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is where your knowledge reaches a point where you think you know something very well, so you massively overestimate what it is that you know, because you think, oh, I've, the stuff that I picked up so far all seems really straightforward or really easy, so that must be all there is. But actually, you haven't recognized there's this massive up-ramp of, of knowledge that you've still not picked up. Hmm. I really like Jerry Weinberg's rule of three there, where he says, or he actually asks you to think of three things that might be wrong with your understanding. And if you can't mm. come up with three different things, you haven't really understood the problem. And that's also a great way to break your assumptions because when you, especially when you jump to solutions or conclusions, if you think about three different ways to approach something, then it shows, okay, but these are my four assumptions. If I take those two out, which actually might be wrong, I have a completely different picture. And it's also a great tool mm. in order to think laterally and think of uh, from different viewpoints. I think one of the really important things to do is to give yourself the time to do this thought. Mm. To give you a quick example from my team right now, we do one week sprints right now. 
and we obviously we have a we have story points and we take on a, a certain number of story points to maintain a, a particular velocity we've actually realized that if we start taking on fewer pieces of work at the beginning of a week we feel less rushed and less pressured we have that time to consider those assumptions and we actually end up delivering more work and of a higher quality because mm. we're we're not having to go back and rework things because we've discovered the assumptions too late. If we take on less work, we can actually give each story time to breathe, time to sit down, time to think. And we save ourselves so much more t time in the long time by having these discussions. Yeah, not not rushing to it, but stepping back and really thinking about it. I think that's really good advice. That's brilliant, Cara. There's a lot for people to go thinking about now. <laughs> the, the, uh, I, I suspect the list of uh, resources in the show notes is going to be the longest one we've had so far. So I've been uh, really grateful uh, for you offering all this up today. Before we say our goodbyes, you've got one more song left to choose. Yes. So it's not a song I usually listen to. But again, I love the message. It's Alexander Courage or Courage. I don't know. He's American. And he did the Star Trek main theme. And the Star Trek main theme, of course, doesn't have lyrics, but you know the voiceover. Um, so what is this all about? It's about exploring strange new worlds, and it's about boldly going where no one has gone before. And I think that's, isn't that testing? Aren't we all a bit the Star Trek crew? These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. That was the theme to Star Trek, the original series by Alexander Courage. And the last job for us is to talk to you, Caro, about which book you would take to the desert island with you, Caro, if you had one. I do have one. And that's actually one of the toughest questions ever because I'm, I have a literature degree. So ask mm. a literature major what's their favorite book and you'll just get head shaking. It's just a tough question, how to pick. But about 10 years ago, I stumbled upon James Joyce Ulysses and That is a great book. I really enjoyed reading it. Uh, it's not always easy to make sense of it, but it offers in 18 chapters a view on Leopold Bloom walking through Dublin basically on a day, so his day, and all the chapters are different, all different style, different language. Um, so it's history of English language actually uses old English at some point. Um, stream of consciousness introduced or made popular through the book. So it's very diverse, very, very kind of a whole lot of different things. And I always call it an exercise for your brain because that's really how it feels like. So that is a book that I wouldn't get bored of ever. I have always wanted to read it. I'm someone who goes to Dublin fairly regularly, mm. maybe once a year. And being in Dublin, you hear about Ulysses a lot. There was a time when Lord of the Rings was the book that I always wanted to read and never had. And now I have. I think Ulysses is the next one that I really need to, to crack into. It's going to be great to have that on the Desert Island bookshelf because I'm sure you're <laughs> not the only one. Well, thank you very much for talking to me today, Cara. It's been great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Neil. It has been a pleasure. If people would like to get in touch with you and learn more about the work you do at Lingomatics or to get involved with the meetup scene in Cambridge, where should they go to do that? They could come to the meetups. 
or ping me on the meetup. So we're on meetup, uh, Ministry of Testing Cambridge. Uh, so that's fairly easy to meet me in person. Or Twitter is always a good way. At Carostol, so K-A-R-O-S-T-O-L. Um, I'm there fairly regularly. And I also blog at putzerfish.wordpress.com. Excellent. One more link for the show notes then. <laughs> and thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today, dear listener. We'll be back again in two weeks' time. In the meantime, if you'd like to get hold of us, you could do so on Twitter at Testers Island. Thank you again, Caro. Thank you, Neil. It was really just a pleasure. And for me too. And I'll speak to you all again soon. Bye. Bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you in association with the Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Tony Lovich. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. <laughs>